0: Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan is going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Long rebound Hughes. Fake jumper is good. Give it to me, Larry. Give it to me, Larry Hughes.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we get too far into the episode here, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, Larry and I were not aware that Brad was 100% cleared to play against Phoenix on Monday night when we recorded this episode. So, some of the things you'll hear for the next 45 minutes or whatever are about us speculating what they'll do uh, in Brad's potential absence. But I, I think the larger point still applies that you're probably going to be without Westbrook for another week. You're probably going to be without Thomas Bryant for the entire season. So, either way, guys still need to step up, regardless of if it's to fill Bradley's shoes or, or someone else's. So, Uh, Keep that in mind throughout and enjoy the episode. The NBA and college basketball are back. The NFL playoffs are currently going on as we speak. My Baltimore Ravens got a nice win this weekend, so I'm happy about that. But there are plenty of bets to lock in, so if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat as NBA champion or someone to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, then you need to go to betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Since we last talked, the Wizards lost 141-136 to Philly, 116-107 to Boston, and 128-124 to Miami, and they also lost Thomas Bryant for the entire season with an ACL tear. Uh, Larry, that's that's about as bad a week as a team can have. Uh, what what stood out to you most, and where are you kind of at with this team overall?
0: Uh, what stood out for, for me is – we made a a few comments uh, in the weeks prior, just understanding what the identity is of the team and really having an understanding of what that identity is. I I don't know what what the identity is right now. I don't know what gives the Wizards the best chance, the best possibility of winning the basketball games and and being consistent doing that. You'll obviously have, you know, the other teams, the opponents where they could be all for things that's happened within within their camp. But just really understanding how the Wizards are going to play night in and night out and I don't think the way they've been playing is going to be successful. And I don't think that that's something that they want to continue to carry on uh, to try to outscore people, um, you know, try to put up a bunch of points, try to get a bunch of possessions. You know, that's what I'm seeing. And I don't think that that's uh, the, the right way to understand what your foundation is, begin to build your structure and your, and your culture of how you're going to play each and every night. I just think that it's uh, trying to outscore people is, is not – is not the, the right way to, to go about it.
1: They were, I, I should have mentioned in the, the bad circumstances thing that they were also at the last minute without Beale against Miami and missed Russell Westbrook due to a quad injury. We're recording this on Monday. It just came out that Westbrook will miss at least another week, keyword at least. So uh, we'll see what that really means. Uh, I'm not sure if Beal will be back for tonight's game against Phoenix or not. They haven't announced. Uh, if he's cleared protocols or any of that stuff yet, I would imagine not. So you're playing another high-powered team, uh, high-powered offensive team without probably your two leading scorers or actually your three leading scorers now. Uh, and like you said, it's just they they comp- they were able to put up some points against Miami, but they didn't guard anyone. And I appreciated that there was some scrap and people like uh, Garrison Matthews and Mo Wagner have been injected in the last two games. and And those two guys at least brought some energy but I've never seen a team give up so many wide open three-pointers. Like, how does that happen?
0: I don't think the focus is – I mean, they're talking about defense, but it's not showing once they go out and play as far as the communication on the court. Obviously, you can have a game plan and then go out and you play basketball, then you can have – see what the results were, and then you can talk about what you needed to do to win. And all of, all of that stuff is going coming back to defense. So if, if if you have that understanding of what's what's it, it's going to take to to be successful, especially in that you know in that pregame discussion, you're going through that scouting report, and it's not a good idea. Their team is not built to outscore people. Meaning, you know, the multiple threats that you would have on a basketball court. You know, with these high powered teams, you know, you look this way, this guy can score thirty. You look this way, this guy can score thirty. I mean, look this way, this guy can score twenty, twenty five, and those teams that are built that way, they do that consistently. The the Wizards aren't built that way. They're they're not built to outscore anyone. So, I mean, that's really – it keeps jumping out to me is that, you know, you're going to get the same results. I mean, you can talk about, you know, putting different people in and and them coming with energy. But if it's not a total understanding of concept of how we're going to put ourselves in the best position the last three minutes of the fourth quarter to win a game – I think that it's, it's it's moot. I think that you're just chasing your tail uh, and having the same conversations, you know, over and over and over again.
1: So who does that responsibility fall on for them to, I mean, obviously everybody at some level, but I would imagine that starts at the top, right?
0: It starts at the top. It's about accountability. Uh, it, it's about, you know, understanding, you know, how the pieces fit together. And you don't want to take away from what Bradley is doing as far as scoring the basketball, you know, being aggressive. But you do have to look at the the totality of the situation. You know, if a guy's taking forty shots, and obviously he's putting up those numbers, but what is that doing in, to the entire flow? How engaged are the other players to to want to play defense? I mean, we we have to understand that. You know, you have to reward guys. You have to give them an opportunity in in the in the highlight in the in the the you know the sexy part of the game, and that's on the offensive end to make sure that everyone is blocked is in and keyed in on the defensive end, whether it's a, you know, a little handoff for a layup or whether it's just something, whether it's a play call for, you know, to get a guy on the block that not necessarily is expected to score a bunch of points, but that guy's going to work harder for you on defense. And it, it sounds crazy to say that, but that's the reality. That's the truth of it. So w- I don't want to take anything away from from what Brad is doing uh, because he's obviously needed to score the ball, but you have to look at the entire picture of what's going to make this team successful. And I don't think having the guy that's going to lead the league in scoring, that's not going to make this team successful.
1: Yeah, on like a, a one-night basis or something where he has a great matchup or is really feeling it, if if he throws up the 60-point night here or there, like that's that's great. But him scoring 40 a game, uh, we've seen that not work for us for, for years. And to what you just said, I always think back to like a Shaq quote about he tried to get his eight a quarter. You know, like, and once he had eight, he just went into like distributor mode, and he didn't want everybody to think he was a black hole. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, like you said, people think that about about Brad. I don't think his teammates they've needed him to score, or they weren't going to have a chance. But it's just surprising to me that, you know, even the guys that have played with effort defensively, just seem to be running around without purpose. I, I asked Scott Brooks directly after the Boston game. And again, like I'm, I'm not an NBA player. Uh, I'm not an NBA coach. I I don't profess to be an expert, but I I know pretty basic stuff. And there were multiple times in the first half of that Boston game where they double teamed Daniel Tice in the post and left like a Jalen Brown wide open. So I, I said, Hey, is that, is that the scheme or is that a miscommunication? And he was like, Oh, we never did. The only person we ever double teamed in the post was Jason Tatum. And, you know, even some of those were miscommunications. I'm like, no, like I could pull the clip, like, you know, there were multiple times where, where you left guys wide open and, and I would just imagine like later you weren't a, a Kyle Corver or a JJ Redick in your career, but I I've seen you shoot the ball. Like I, I know you got a nice jumper. If you're wide open from an NBA three point
0: line, what percentage are you gonna shoot? Well, you're gonna shoot a higher percentage now because that's how these these guys, that's how they train. Sure. That's how they prepare. So, I'm just saying,
1: even you right now retired. Oh 40%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm about 40%, you know, 40 – I mean, you know, in the in the high 40s. Because, again, this is how I'm going to train. These are the shots that I'm taking nowadays, like, every day, like when I'm working out, going through my little routine. Like, if you're going to give that guy those sort of shots that he goes through in his pregame warm-ups, then obviously he's going to shoot a, a higher percentage because he's going to revert back to, oh, this is just like pregame warm-up. This is not really like a game. So, yeah, I, I would definitely shoot in the high 40s, I think.
1: Now you've – now – now pl- replace that with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who are shooting in the forties anyway, and you're leaving them wide open. And it's like, damn, why do we keep losing? I, like this just shouldn't be that tough. Like I, I don't understand.
0: It's it's a plan, man. You know, it, it's a plan. There's always the, the game is, is is fast movement. There's always reaction to everybody's movements and to everybody's action. And if you don't have a plan, you, you're gonna get caught when somebody's double teaming someone that they have no business double teaming. You're going to leave those other players with not understanding what they're supposed to do. Are they supposed to rotate? Are they supposed to leave the hot guy who was actually the main guy who are not supposed to leave to rotate to a guy that was left open because we went and did a random double team. Like you can have energy and you can have effort, but you still have to play smart on defense. And that's all a part of just like, what is our plan? Okay. We're going to give this up first. And then there's going to be a, you know, a a steady pace on the things that we give up later on, depending on what we gave up first. So if they're not making those jump shots early on, then we're going to give up a few more of those to protect the basket. If they're making those jump shots, then we're going to close out to those guys, make them make shots at the basket with a contested hand and make it tough at the basket for them. So I think that you have to have a plan going out. And to be a fly on the wall and to sit into some of these you know, team meetings in their scouting reports, man, that would give us a, a really good, you know, understanding of what we're actually talking about because without any structure, and we've said this many a times, like, I, I don't see how you, how you're playing basketball without knowing what the progression is as far as to what you're supposed to be doing. I, I just like,
1: I can't imagine that at any point a professional coaching staff's game plan would be leave Tatum or Brown when you're playing the Celtics with all the guys they have missing, And those guys got way too many open looks. And after the game, um, Bradley Beal got asked, and and Scott Brooks got asked the same question, why was he the guy guarding Tatum for so much of that game? And uh, mind you, it's not even just the mismatch there, but it's what you're asking Brad to do offensively. You're also going to ask him to take the toughest offensive matchup. And Scott Brooks basically said, like, well, we need a stopper, and we think Bradley Beal can be our stopper. And then when they asked Beal about it, he's like, well, at least I know Tatum's game. But then again, I also know I'm six inches shorter than him, so I'm always at a serious disadvantage there. And he just kind of shrugged. So it's like, that doesn't seem to me like he bought in on that being the game plan. It's just sort of like, well, Tatum's going to get his, oh well.
0: That's a bad game plan. It's a bad game plan. I mean, let's just be completely honest. I mean, that's a bad game plan. If you're trying to be successful in your way to be successful, if you're going to score the hell out of the ball, then you're not going to put your best score on the best offensive player. One, he's going to get in foul trouble. And two, Jason is is a tough guard for anyone. And to take your focus off of what I need to do to help my team on the offensive end, to take that and put that on the defensive end for Brad, you're going to put yourself behind the eight ball because professional player, a a guy that even even a two-way guy is going to play offense and defense. He needs to focus on something. Mm-hmm. He needs to focus on something and let everything else kind of trickle down as to how to you know how to maneuverate and how to be the best that he can be on the court. Like if you're saying that Brad, we're going to give you the ball so you can shoot the ball 45 times, but also you have to guard the guy that's going to shoot the ball 20 times, who's putting pressure on the defense every time he touches the basketball. Brad has a a, a mix of focus. Do I focus on making sure that I'm in the right spot to get quality shots up because I know my team needs. 40 shots a game or do I focus on this guy who's going to be this complete threat the entire game that is that going to give us our best chance to win so I think that that's a again I I, I hey I watch and I watch with a different eye and I was just like okay uh we're going to try to just okay we'll just go will it and deal it and see what happens tonight
1: and that would be one thing too if like even the offense looked to have like a cohesive flow. Like if, like you said, it's identity. If you're going to be the team that like puts up 140 every night, then really dedicate to being like, that should be the personnel. Yep. If, if I'm Tommy Shepard, I'm wondering why I'm putting guys like Bonga, or Robinson or or some of these, or even, you know, why did I go get Robin Lopez if uh, we're not going to commit to guarding anybody at this point in the year? Like, why do why are those guys still on the roster if, it, like bonga specifically he's going to bring you length and defense he seems ideally suited physically for a guy like tatum yeah. if he barely plays in that game then then why do you have him at this
0: point no that, that's i'm I'm completely with you on that one guy completely with you on that one
1: uh all right so the the thomas bryan loss is a tough one he was averaging like 14 and six uh you know obviously not like a lockdown lockdown defender or anything he's, he's not to Kimbe, but He'd been putting in some some energy and some hustle and, and trying to rebound and had been better on that end, I think, the last couple of games, at least from an effort perspective. If you're them, do you do you go with just Robin Lopez and Mo Wagner at this point as your crew? Or are you trying to make a, a trade for some some short term help? Are you, you know, adding a free agent just to have another body? Like what's what's your thought here, Larry?
0: I I think you need to bring in a a quality guy to to replace. I mean, I'm not talking about the, you know, the 14 and six, but we're talking about a guy that can at least, you know, score the basketball on the offensive end Uh, for the fact that look at Brad to carry the offensive low. And obviously you got Bertans and obviously you got Hachi just trying to figure out where those guys fit in. Um, Thomas was a a good piece for them. I think he was, you know, playing pretty well. You know, I think he was learning on the fly. think he was understanding what his role could be. I don't think he was necessarily given a role or, or, you know, had his role defined to him, but I thought that he was doing everything that he could to make an impact on the game and to lose a guy like that, who was being active on the offensive end, hanging around the rim, going for every offensive rebound. And then a guy that's on the defensive end who's rotating, uh, trying to, you know, trying to be in the right spot. I mean, this game is fast and these guys are really, really good. But what I saw from him is that he was trying to do his job and to lose a guy like that, especially early on when you're struggling, I think they'll take a hit and that person that comes in has to be a high energy guy. He can't be a laid back guy. He can't be a guy that, you know, his history doesn't show that he's an energy guy. He's a a rah-rah guy. He gets excited because that was something that I thought Thomas brought to the team that was very much needed. So you're going to lose his physical, but you also need to replace, you know, what he brought uh, his mentality and what he brought to the table, you know, just from a, just from the opponents, you know, looking over there and seeing, you know, how much energy he has. I think that you need to replace some of that in in some shape or form.
1: I I was trying to think between the two, who would I rather see start and Mo probably (laughs) allows you to play at the same pace that, that Bryant does. And he provides a little more floor spacing, but he just fouls so much. And if you try to give him like high twenties minutes, I just don't see any way. He's not fouled out every game. And then Lopez doesn't, doesn't give you those other things. I don't think he brings that sort of like outward energy that, that you're talking about there. So uh, for, for bullets forever today, I put out an article of just options on the free agent market. And, you know, it's not particularly inspiring the guys that are, that are available. Um, so Jordan Bell, who played for the Warriors that they brought in for the G League team last year before play shut down, is available, and they had brought him into camp this year. Yoli Child from BYU that was at camp again. These are both six eight guys. Like Child shoots the ball a little bit. Bell brings that energy. Jan Mahinmi, you know, he he knows the personnel at this point. Uh, a guy like Dwayne Deadman um, is you know older at this point. He's early thirties, but. Uh, at least tall and can shoot the ball a little bit, rebound. And then we get into like the, you know, the John Henson's, the Joakim Noah's, the Pau Gasol's. Like I'm not, I just, I'm not sure what they do unless they they're willing to try to make a move, you know, maybe somebody like a JaVale McGee in Cleveland, you know, somebody like that. Not that Wizards fans are dying to have JaVale back in DC, but there's gotta be something they can do there, I guess.
0: Well, I think it's a different JaVale. I think he had the opportunity to go out and find structure, find an understanding of, of what's actually going to be successful in the NBA. Sure. So if, if I'm a Wizards fan, I'm actually welcoming that guy back at this time because of how we can play. We're going to move. We're going to cut. We're going to run. We have ball handlers. We have a guy that can jump and touch the top of the backboard. And I think that that's, you know, from the offensive standpoint, that is great. And I think just with him, I mean, just talking about him specifically, and I know he's not you know out there floating around, but, for him, what he could bring on the offensive end, is as far as being a runner, hanging around the basket, using this lint, you know, not being a person that, you know, you, you need to throw the basketball down to. Can he make a shot? He shot a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, in the later years, but then on the defensive end of a guy who can switch, uh, a guy who's going to contest everything at the rim, uh, and a guy who's still playing with energy and is still uh, trying to prove himself within the league. I think that that is a good name uh, that that you do throw out. You know, and then Mahimi, I mean, you know, he's a a character that the the guys know. You're gonna you're gonna know what he brings to the table. Anyone that comes in, they're gonna need to have a a role, have a conversation about coach, what exactly do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. And wherever I fall short, coach me up. Let's watch film, let's figure out what we need to do to to help me get better. But coach, tell me exactly what you need me to do. And then, you know, there's a way to to grow from there. Early on man I, I thought assign Whiteside was a great name. I mean, we talked to his coaching in in the um, in the early on, but I thought that that was a great name and to see what he went out to Sacramento for, man. I mean, I think that that was a, a missed opportunity and Ken not cry with spilled milk, but that's another name from a you know from a center position uh, that that stands out. But I don't think you want to sub in and bring in a you know a six seven guy or a six eight guy uh, that's not going to really be any sort of rim protection or any sort of uh, a rebounding threat.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. McGee and Whiteside were the two guys I had in there. Whiteside sort of fallen out of the rotation in, in Sacramento because they've tried to do the, the Marvin Bagley is a center uh, thing that hasn't really worked super well for them. Uh, and then the other option I, I had was Dallas is going to get Chris taps Porzingis back soon. So somebody between Maxi Kleba Dwight Powell and Willie Colley-Stein, like one of those three is going to end up on a bench. Maybe you could pry one of them away for a second round pick or something. Uh, at least that give you some athleticism.
0: No, I, I think that that's, that's completely right in that thought process of someone's coming back and then somebody dropping out of the rotation. And when you look at an organization, I mean, those are the guys that they would maybe, maybe want to get some assets for uh, that you can use at, at this point in time. But I think that those are are two good names that you threw out there with Powell and Kali Stein. Uh, Powell because he's active and he's obviously been in a situation where uh, he he knows how to play basketball, and and obviously Kali Stein with the lint that he provides on both ends of the court. I think it's going to be huge for for what the Wizards do next is bringing in lint versus um, you know anything else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that that you miss from from Lopez and Wagner it's just sort of that like, um, straight up, like vertical athleticism. And it'd be nice to like, I'm not sure I've seen Robin Lopez dunk yet. And if they, if he did, both feet didn't leave the ground. So it, it would be nice to see that, uh, at some point this season, Larry, did you ever play with a guy where you're like, all right, I recognize that this guy is a good player, but I just don't like the way he plays or like, I hate to watch the way that guy plays. Like, I can recognize that Robin Lopez is is a productive NBA player. He's had a long career, but every time he's on the court, I'm like angry watching, watching this team.
0: No, that that's one. And then that's, you talk about the stats. I mean, that would be a guy for just, you know, just talking about him. That would be a guy. If you're looking at stats, you see rebounds like, Oh, well shit, he had eight rebounds. He only played, you know, 12 minutes. I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's pretty good, but it's the totality of the situation. And the other guy for me would, would probably be one of the guys that's on the top of the charts. And that's Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think he's a, a great basketball player, but that's I don't to want like, Yeah. When he gets the basketball, like the circus music comes on, like, like, I don't want to play basketball like that. I want to catch, move, cut, you know, run, you know. So that's another guy who's very successful, very productive. But me watching and, and want to play with a guy with that style, it just wouldn't wouldn't be fun for me.
1: I can totally relate to that one and then you'd have to hear about all the conspiracy theories while you're at it so uh just just a sort of a general NBA defense question for you when you see these guys mic'd up like you see the Warriors mic'd up and you've got Draymond Green and he's he's calling out every play defensively and things like that how much of that actually occurs on an NBA court when guys aren't mic'd up like is there typically one guy that's Sort of bark and stuff out to people, and do you need that to be a successful NBA defense?
0: Like, like really vocal communication. You do, you do. And those guys, I mean, you know, being the champs that they are, you know, that dynasty that they created, you know, for a number of years, that's part of it. Like, that's part of it. Understanding film study, giving you guys keys and cues to know what position to be in to react before the the team is actually moving. I mean, that, that is the way to play basketball. When you're talking about a, a guy that's going to anchor the defense, like a Draymond Green who's been one of the top defensive players in the league for a number of years, regardless of size, you need that. Like that is – that's like music to my ears right there because I'm always like listening for, you know, the, the other plays from the coach. And if I hear a play call, I'll yell it out to to our assistant coach and he'll kind of prompt you on exactly what it is. You You recognize the call, but you may not – completely remember the position on the court so if you yell that play out to the coach they can tell you you know pin down or back screen or give you the third option uh, for what that play actually is but that is very important like that is very important and that's just about that communication and some guys will fake it some guys will fake it but I think when they're mic'd up I think that that's that's really natural I mean when they start to joke around and things like that you know that that's obvious, but sure. for the most part, if you get a guy that's that's you know tuned in on the defensive end and and is mic'd up, I mean that that is really real and that's really you know professional level. I sat courtside for the Wizards a couple times last year, and obviously this is
1: somewhat of a different team. But you never heard a peep from them. Yeah, like no. when you were on that end of the floor, there was never a single person talking during possessions, and and I can't imagine it's much different this year.
0: But they're not interested in playing defense. They're not interested in playing defense. They're trying to figure out what's going on to create a little bit of resistance, but they're ready to get the ball out and they're ready to get on the offensive end and figure out who can make the play. They don't play for each other right now. Like they, when somebody cuts, it's just like a cut to get out of the way. It's not a cut to take somebody with you. Like they're not playing for each other and it's, it's whatever it is. I'm, you know, I'm not in the inside, so I don't know. But they're not interested in playing defense. I mean, no matter what they're saying, no matter what's in their notes, they are not interested in playing defense. And if they are, it's not for the full forty-eight minutes. It may be for the first six minutes until the timeout, mm-hmm. and then they they revert to okay, we got to score, 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 score. But from my vantage point, there's there's not a lot of interest in 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 playing defense.
1: I, I tweeted this out earlier in the week, and, and you look at a team like um like the Knicks that you bring in Tom Thibodeau, and you know he's obviously had probably less success in his last stint or two, but the Knicks went from like a dumpster fire defensively last year to, you know, better than middle of the pack. And suddenly they have a winning record. Um, you, you look at Cleveland, you know, they're 500 ish right now after being terrible last year. And that's because they've forced a ton of turnovers and, and been really active. And, you know, the personnel's not wildly different in New York than it was last year. Like obviously some of the younger guys are older, but, to me, that's him coming in and instituting some sort of plan. As somebody who has played against, you know, Tom Thibodeau coached teams, uh, what do you what do you know you're in for when you play one of those teams? I guess.
0: Well, I think it's effort, but I think it's effort with the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as our sink and fields or our replace or our switches or our, you know our double teams from the baseline or double teams from the middle, I think it's it's all scripted out. Like we. We're going to have a plan and then, like I said, we can always deviate from that. If somebody gets hot and we can do a little bit something different or somebody's having an off night then we'll challenge them to, to make a shot. But I think that those are the things that, that, that Tibbs brings and all the guys that I know who play for him, um, you know, they understood that. Like they, they weren't always excited to, you know, to go to practice or have shoot arounds, but they understand when once they got in the game, they were going to make it, make your job a living hell because of everything that they put into it, you know, and the attention to detail that they had. So you, you need that structure. You need, you know, your, your team, not to necessarily love you all the time. Like, I mean, because it's your ass on the line when you're getting busted every night. So whether, you know, you're into it with the coach, if he's having it, having those conversations with you of accountability. And I think that that's what's missing. Like Ted is going to hold you accountable and he's going to do it in practice. Then he's going to go to his assistant coaches and then if he has to, he's gonna to go to the media. So he's gonna make sure that you know, you know, you're not doing what it's gonna take for us to be successful as a group. And on the defensive end, it's like one and a half players, like if, if one and a half players are off or out of position, like everything is, is just terrible. So you have to get everybody working on the same page. You know, if, if, if somebody is a half a second late, you can account for that. But if one guy's out of position and the other guy's a half a second late, then you're, you're just running into problems. And again, you're just taking the ball out and trying to outscore teams, which, you know, it's not it's, it's not the right way to go, especially with this group.
1: Maybe I'm reading a little too much into this, but it felt like Bradley Beal was throwing some shade the other night. They, they asked him what the problems were. And he said, look, we, we couldn't guard a parked car. But then transitioning, and this is the clip that didn't get as much traction, but he talked about like, And they were like, well, why couldn't you? And he said, well, you'd have to talk to other people. Like, we're just not, basically, we're not in sync right now. And, you know, watching these last couple games, I've liked Denny Avdia overall. I still think he's a really good pick. But there's a lot of, like, you know, chicken with a head cut off defense and a lot of people pointing to him after the fact, or he should have been. How hard is it to guard somebody and be a meaningful defensive cog as a rookie? Uh,
0: it's, It's tough as a rookie. It's tough as a rookie. I mean, no matter how you're coming in, things are moving fast. I mean, we're professional players. So we're going to put you in a position where, you know, we're going to send you one way and we're going the other way. That's part of it. So from, from a rookie standpoint, if he's in in tune, if he's trying to learn, uh, if he's giving that energy and effort, uh, if he's running around, you know, getting his head over his knees and fouling because he's out of position, like you can work with that. That's at least telling you that he's interested in, being in the right position and knowing that he's a rookie, knowing that he played some professional, obviously, but he's not, he he hasn't been in the NBA. So knowing that he has some learning curves, they're going to come from the, on on the defensive end, he's going to be okay on the offensive end because he can move at his own pace and he understands the basketball game. But when you're talking from a professional level and these guys are really, really good, like he's going to be a a step behind and he's going to need someone to recover for him, you know, help him until he's able to recover. Right now, he's not able to to recover because no one is helping. And in the effort to get back to what he's doing, he's just running into the guy and he's fouling him. But that's not a lack of, of of want to. He wants to be there, but he needs, you know, that backside to talk to him about, hey, if you're coming at 75, you know, at 75, like dial it down to 50 so you don't run into that guy. I got you until you square him up and get back. But if those things aren't happening and he's coming in hot and and that's – you know, what I see on the defensive end um, with, with, with Denny.
1: Uh, and, and the other one that's been sort of surprising is, like, Rui Hachimura started off reasonably well defensively and offensively. But it seems like Scott Brooks has had a shorter leash with him in the last couple of games, and, and especially against Miami, I would have thought with, with Russ, Brad, and Thomas Bryant out, he would have had, like, the ultimate green light all night. But meanwhile, like, you've got Bertons, who – has been an offensive and defensive disaster for most of the season, sort of getting more minutes than him. So like, if I'm him, I just don't understand what's going on. Like I'm the starter, but the guy who's playing more minutes than me has been even worse than I, like, I I just, how do you recognize, like rationalize that as a player?
0: They're trying to score. Like there's, there's no identity, you know, within the team, Like, There's no, there's just no identity within the team. And I can't say it like simpler enough, like, those guys don't know what they're supposed to do. When you, you think about the offensive end and if they should take a shot or make a drive and kick pass, like everyone is like, it looks to me that they're trying to take the shot and to have no identity, to have no role, to have no necessarily responsibility, it puts everybody at a disadvantage because you're playing a, a, a basketball game on the offensive end. That's, that's obviously centered around Brad's ability to, to score the basketball. Bertine's ability to make shots. Well, if Brad is not taking great shots and Bertine's is not taking great shots, then you're putting your defense at a in a bad spot. I mean, if you got guys flattened down to the to the baseline and you're talking about, you know, taking a bad shot or a bad three, like no one is getting back. Your your effort is not even the same trying to get back if someone takes a bad shot and you're all the way on the baseline. So I think that they need to shore up what they want to do on the offensive end. Spread the cookies around a little bit more, you know what I mean? So everybody's in, in, engaged in the game. And in the sense where if, if, if Brad's gonna get 40 shots, maybe he takes 26 shots. Mm-hmm. Brad's gonna average 35 right now. Maybe what does it look like if he averages 26, 27? So I mean, just kind of understanding like what the you know, what the the, the total product looks like. But I think we talk about defense, you also have to look at the offense to see the number of bad shots that are taken and quick shots that are taken, just ill-advised things that happen that don't allow you to get back. And then if you watch the good teams play and you see the structure in which they play on offense and how that puts them in a better position to stop the transition buckets and to, to, to match up properly, then you can figure out where your, where your downfalls are.
1: You know, you've, you've got like, it seems kind of redundant or sort of uh, backwards a little bit, but, you've got guys like Westbrook and Troy Brown and, and Thomas Bryan and stuff crashing the offensive boards a, a little bit more than, than our team did last year. But if you've got Bertons or Brad taking a 30 footer, uh, it doesn't do you any good. And now it just puts you, like you said, at a disadvantage, uh, defensively. And, and that's, I don't know. Again, I, I go back to not an NBA player, not an NBA coach, but there are just certain things I watch where I'm like, this is, just, it just seems like little league shit to some extent. like, in the Boston game, there were like four times in the first half where our guys saved the ball under our own basket. Like, I I would yell at middle schoolers I was coaching to not do things like that. I got to imagine those same principles still apply at the NBA level. Like, just let that one go out of bounds.
0: If, yeah, but you have to understand too, are, are we be, being held accountable for our actions? Like, it's not like a, it's not a punishment. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you, you're the worst player, you, you know, you did this very, like, are we acknowledging the fact that, Hey, next time you get the ball under our back, like just walk out with it. We'll get a chance to set our defense, whether that comes from a player, whether that comes from a coach, like we're still dealing with guys and that's that's a middle school sort of, you know, rule, but you're still dealing with guys that are fresh to the league or just young to, you know, to the experience and what it takes. Like you you can't cert like save everything like a, uh, like Denny, like, you can't save everything. You can't get back in front every time. So there's things that you have to sacrifice in order to put yourself in a better position. And that is, you know, that those, those, are conversations that I think that you should have, you know, as a coaching staff, that there's things that go on in the, in the game that if we take a loss, it could actually put us in a better position. And that's, you know, and, and I'm kind of just, I've been watching and listening and I haven't really heard about, you know, how our shots on the offensive end may have some impact on what we're doing on the defensive end. Like, those are the things in, that you you should look at, aside from people giving energy and effort, is to what's kind of that cause and effect sort of deal. Their, their
1: next couple games here, they play the Utah Jazz, or sorry, they play the, the Phoenix Suns tonight, Monday night. Uh, they also play the Jazz Wednesday, the Pistons Friday and the Cavaliers on Sunday. So by the time we record next, they will have played four more games. Suns and Jazz are tough. Pistons, Cavaliers, those two should be probably two of the more winnable games on their schedule. I know Cleveland's been better this year, but that's still not like a, a scary roster by by any stretch that we shouldn't be able to match up with. Let's just say worst case scenario, worst case scenario is obviously 0-4, but let's say they go 1-3 in that stretch, and you're a three-win team, you know a quarter of the way into the season almost at, at what point do you make a change Larry? Like what, how bad does this thing have to get before we do something different here? Whether that's, I'm not advocating for anyone to get fired or a coaching change or whatever, but just, just something drastic. Like, are we already at that point in your
0: opinion? You know, it's, it's hard to say because it's hard to understand what the actual plan is. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not really seeing like the plan of which I don't think there we, is one. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the plan on which we're going to attack. Are we going to limit possessions? Are we going to go into more screening rows? Are we going to, um, you know, not switch one through four as much, only switch one through, you know, one through three, or like I'm yet to really see a plan. So it's hard to say if we're struggling, like what's the next move? My next move would be, Hey, sit down and put a plan together, like how are we gonna move going forward? Okay, let's wipe out our first 10 games and let's put a plan together for our next 10 games. And then let's evaluate in blocks of 10 because we know that we're struggling overall, you know, we're gonna struggle this year it looks to be. So let's break it up into 10 game blocks to figure out what strategy is gonna make it to the next 10 games because there's some things that you're just going to completely throw out some lineups. You're going to completely throw out some guys that were playing in and had a certain matchup that completely didn't work for a guy with speed or a guy with size. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a real conversation with that guy say, Hey, you know, these next 10 games, you may not see a lot of action. We, we try some things that didn't work in our favor. So we're going to go this route. So keeping the communication open, but Man, I'm a planner, man. I I don't know, man. I, I like to. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I like to understand like what are we trying to do so we can go back. It's like in the manufacturing, be like if you mess something up, like you got to be able to go back and say, okay, let's pull this cog out and replace it with this one, and then you know continue to move forward. So that's what I would say is to. We have these games coming up. There, uh, uh, you know, some tough matchups, but you know, really sitting, out, sitting down to evaluate what the next block of 10 games will look like because you may be without Russ. You may be without without Brad for a certain extent. So what sort of confidence are you going to instill in these guys to go out and hoop? Like, because it's, it hasn't been there, right? I mean, you know, you got short leashes, you got guys playing one quarter, not this quarter, you got guys playing this half, not this half. So it's, it's a tough it's a tough way to go about business to figure out what is our next course of action? Because you don't want to do something that's just completely drastic without a plan. Like, if you're going to make a change, you're going to, you know, blow things up or turn things around. Like there has to be a plan in place uh, and not just the fact that, you know, that there's struggle veals and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of chatter going on right now.
1: When you go through all that, I, I'm, I'm not in my head in like furious agreement on on all of them, but I hear three things from that. One there may just not be a plan, like a really like a reasonable plan. Two, if there is, maybe you're putting a plan in place that your personnel can not execute. Or three, they're just choosing not to execute your personnel. Any of those, or either your personnel are just choosing not to execute your plan. So, all three of those things go back to me as as you, as a head coach or a coaching staff. You're just not getting your your, your job done, and whether that's your GM or your owner or somebody. I would think they would want to know which of those three things it is. And in either way, you know, some, something has to be to push Scott Brooks to do something different. I would think I, I just, it keeps coming back to him for me.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm not one that's a, you know, that's not, that's a yeller or say if, if a coach is not running up the sidelines, he's not mm-hmm. engaged in the game. But I like to see a little bit of more a little bit more you know sense of urgency or a, a little more frustration uh from scott than than I've been seeing it's it's kind of like oh well, you know that happened or oh well yeah well, you know that that happened too and as a player sometimes those players need that oh, guy geez, to sure. get upset and get a little bit uncomfortable before they get uncomfortable so if he knows like hey you know, management is beaming down on me. Like if I don't get these guys in gear, if I don't do something different, you know, my time here could be short and everyone has to feel that pressure. So the GM is feeling that pressure from the president or the owner and the, you know, the coaches should be feeling that pressure from the GM or the president and the players should feel that pressure from the coach and the coaching staff. And especially from the coaching staff, because a lot of times the head coaches, are they're good. Changes are made, they're good. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the assistant coaches that fall into that, you know, some of that no man's land space. Sure. So I always look to my assistants to be on edge if something, you know, things aren't going right to be on edge because, hey, this, they could lose their job. Like they could be gone and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to allow them to come on their staff. So I think that there's just like pressure that, that, that's needed to make sure that everybody is doing the best job that they can do. And I don't see that that pressure being applied um, just by the comments or just by the uh, you know just the interaction with, with with Scott and maybe that's just his personality. That I, I didn't play for him. I wasn't you know didn't really have a lot of interaction uh, while I was playing to to know what his personality to know what his personality is. But just from the outside looking in, I think that you know somebody needs a little bit of fire, whether it's fire for him and that's not firing, but a little bit of fire <laughs> to be applied because. That kind of stuff trickles down to, you know, to everyone on the team.
1: Yeah. Tell his ass he's on the hot seat, you know, like, like light, light a fire under him. So he lights a fire under other guys. Like my, my dad, who was probably listening to this podcast and I watched one of the games last week and, and he's not like a diehard basketball fan. He's like, why is he just sitting on the bench as they're blowing a 10 point? Like, I don't, why is he just sitting there with his head in his palm? Like it was, you know, like you have people that aren't diehard basketball people or anything that are like, calling out very basic things with this team. And that, that's what's so hard to to understand. Not that the fans always know better or anything like that, but there's some obvious shit, I would think, that that anybody like in your position would look at this quickly and be like, uh and you've started to hear Drew Gooden call that out more. Like, why are we doing this or why are we not doing this? And and it doesn't seem to make sense with him either.
0: Man, if if you've been in a space, like if you've been in a space and you know just talking at that- you know, that professional basketball court, that locker Mm -hmm. room, you know, those shoot-arounds, you know, those practices. Like you – and it's it's speaking for – like you know the process. Mm -hmm. Like you know when you're up, you're up. When you're down, like somebody has to feel the pressure. Somebody has to feel the heat. And, yeah, it's just not – we're not going about it the right way as far as to applying the pressure because you got a guy that plays well in the the first half and then he don't play in the second. So, like, we are applying the pressure in the wrong way. If you play well, then you may not play anymore. So I just think that there's a, some there's some things that are going on that the Wizards need to get a, get a hold of for sure.
1: It, it strikes me as more of like sort of like a college uh, coaching approach in, in some extent where like, yeah, that guy had 15 points for us in the first half, but I sat him the rest of the game because he missed that one, you know, rotation. It's like... The guy's still doing, on the whole, better than the person you replaced him with. So, what's the teachable moment that that's coming from some of those things? Yeah, the the Wizards are are struggling right now, folks. If if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're aware of that. Again, next game: Suns, Jazz, Pistons, Cavs. Hopefully, you can see the team go two and two out of that stretch. Maybe just show some some positive improvement. First two are probably going to be tougher if without Russ or Brad, and and we'll see what the kind of long term. Roster looks at of those teams, Larry, especially with the jazz uh, later today, anything in particular you're looking at or looking for matchup wise?
0: No, I think it's, it's going to be, you know, it'll be by committee, you know, as far as to how, you know, the, the, the force, you know, that you play with on defense, you're going to be down a couple players that were, Not saying that Russ was your best, you know, one of your better defensive players, but he was just ultra active and, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't back down and he, you know, take challenges. And then Thomas Bryant, you know, being out and you run into a very good Utah team that's very good offensively and very good on the defensive end. And and that's going to pose a a lot of challenges for for the group. But I think it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity for, you know, the guys that haven't been seeing a lot of action to get out there and and prove that they can play and get something on film where you can go and and express to the coach, you know, your value on on what you bring to the table. It's, it's tough to do that in practice or in shoot around. Uh, But when you get an actual chance to play in the game, you can convince the coach of, of what, you know, needs to happen. So hopefully it gives the opportunity for these guys that may have been getting limited minutes to start to find a rhythm and to play better basketball. And I think that that's going to help them overall, even if Brad doesn't play, it's for those guys that have been kind of, you know, on the fringe to to start to step up and get some some real you know some real minutes in a in a, in a real game to you know boost their confidence and I think that that will help you know going forward. It may not be a win, but it just allows you to get a chance to go out there and compete and and then the ability to watch yourself on film. So it's yeah. one thing to watch you know you your can learn from that right play on film yeah. But to see yourself in those positions and how can you help and how can you, you know, be effective is is a good thing as well. So it's going to be tough. But I look at it as a, a way to start your 10 game block right to to begin to figure out, you know, how to how to win a few games and how to how to play better. I can
1: tell you right now, people will lose their shit if Garrison Matthews doesn't see reasonable minutes in, in this game after what he did last night and, and the second half of that Boston game. Uh, if I had to guess, I would imagine without Beal Wall, or Beal, sorry, Beal Westbrook, uh, force of habit there, and, and Bryant, the starting lineup is probably Neto, maybe Robinson again, Avdia, Hachimura, and Lopez, I would imagine they probably start Lopez. I, I just, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence.
0: Well, I think since you haven't, you know, really relied on your defense and your defensive principles have been, you know, kind of scattered or we don't necessarily know what they are. In this situation, you would, you would almost start more of a defensive team mm-hmm. because you know your limitations are going to be on offense, so you want to have a quality defensive group out there. But you just don't know, like so, so you don't know, so you're still kind of behind the eight ball or a rock in a hard place. Um, but again, having that plan of, of players that you're going to start with. And then having your, you know, your deviation of if somebody's not scoring well or, you know, if you get in foul trouble, things like that to make sure that you have that next man up. You're not searching for the next opportunity, but there's a little bit of a a script there that can help the player know when he's going in. He can be better prepared. Uh, But again, it's going to be a little bit of mix up and a little bit of, um, you know, figuring out who can do the job.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think these uh this four game stretch between now and, and when we talk next is gonna be really telling for them and what they do for the rest of the year. I'm not ready at the 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 blow it all up trade beal point, but you drop another four and, and that starts to become that that chatter gets a lot louder, I think. Uh all right, everybody. This was Believe in Wizards for this week. Again, uh check us out. We're gonna be coming out Mondays if you haven't caught on to that yet. So rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh Larry, I guess we'll cross our fingers.
0: Gotta get it gotta get some dubs. Gotta get some dubs.